our first reading is from Psalm 103 up to verse 22. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the next reading is from First Thessalonians, chapter 4, from verse 1 to 12. Finally then, brethren, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that, you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Well, good morning, everyone, and I would like to add to the welcome that Roy gave uh, to everyone here at One Hope. And even though it's school holidays, um, glad to see that you could join us. And uh, I'm sure that God has something to say to us. And if we listen, we will definitely benefit from what he has to say. Um, we had some readings just then, and uh, Psalm 103 was read to give you a picture of the kingdom and heaven and how in the heaven meeting they're very keen to follow out what God wants to do. And then we saw that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, about what it looks like to live a life obeying God and a life living out his will. So they were the connections 
to uh, the scriptures this morning. We're going to be continuing to Lord's Prayer. And so I'll read a couple of verses and then we'll pray. And I was just thinking as we were, as Roy was praying, uh, there's a few families who are struggling with COVID. Um, and um, I had a message from Eden Montgomery that the whole family has got COVID. And then finally, Elijah got COVID. Prayer for little Elijah, compromised immune system. But Eden said to me, by the grace of God, it's hit him now and not five months earlier, which would have been devastating. So just uh, keep remembering that family in prayer, please. Uh, Jesus gives us this amazing encouragement before the prayer. He says, um, your father knows what you need before you ask him. That is powerful, isn't it? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily. Give us also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray for God to speak through his word and through the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart during the week, which are now going to become yours as well. Father God in heaven, we are very thankful that you are a God in the heavens, most high, all-powerful, all-glorious, all-authority, but that you are also on earth, in us, your people, through your Holy Spirit, and you came and visited this planet when God became man in Jesus Christ. And he lived and he died and he ascended and is now reigning and promised that he would be present through his spirit. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just anoint uh, those who are listening and me who is speaking so that what we hear today will be as from you. We trust that you are a speaking God, and we trust that you are a God who has the power to change us. In Jesus' name we ask that. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and I trust that um, it's, it's helpful, but more helpful in praying and understanding the framework of this prayer. I'm continually learning more things. And today, I learned more things about God's will being done. And uh, I have to confess before you that the subject of understanding God's will, you try to look at a, a study of God's word on his will. So I'm going to try to condense it today. Uh, it might be a little bit um, thick and fast in places, uh, but I, I hope we can do justice to the concept of uh, God's will and us doing it. So hopefully it's, it's shaping your prayers as well. And I'm, I'm a prayer as a result of taking on these petitions. Has prayer changed a bit for you? I, I welcome feedback. If, has it actually helped you pray? Or are we locked into the old habitual routines? Hopefully we can unlock some of those things. Anyway, for you to think about. Last time, which is a fortnight ago, 
Um, we, we asked a question when we looked at God's kingdom coming. What was the main item in God's agenda? Who remembers the answer that we unpacked last time? What's the main item on God's agenda? Exactly. The coming of God's kingdom. You see that in the God's kingdom is the big item in God's agenda. And, and we came up with a working definition of the kingdom of God is God's rule uh, over God's people in God's place. So the first part of that definition is about God's rule. And so I hope you can see that this petition about God's will makes a clear connection between the rule of God and the will of God. Because what God wants for his kingdom to come lines up with his will to be done. Rule and will are connected. And the climax of God's kingdom is when his rule is fully established on earth as it is in heaven. We saw that in Psalm 103, just a glimpse of it. The other thing I hope, to, hope you can see is that all three petitions that relate to us praying about God are interconnected. They are interwoven. And I want to show you how that works. The first of all, we looked at God's holiness and his good reputation. Jesus prays for God's name to be holy. In other words, that the holiness of God can be increasingly lived out in us, his people, for his glory. And we used that illustration of the balconier versus the traveller. Remember that illustration, the balconier versus the traveller. The second uh, petition is about God's kingdom growing throughout the world in every area of life until we have perfection in Christ extending to everything. That prayer was basically saying, Lord, finish what you started. And now in the third petition here of this part of the prayer, we pray that God's will can be actively carried out in us and also through us on earth so that it can begin to look like heaven. Earth beginning to look like heaven. The Heidelberg Catechism has a lovely down-to-earth way of answering what this petition means. It says, Help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help us, one and all, to carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. So the first thing I'd like to look at this morning is to compare the Garden of Eden with the Garden of Gethsemane. Sometimes we plan our future, and I know I do this. I say, Lord willing. We plan to do this next year, and we say, Lord willing. Now, that is a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But that's not really what Jesus is driving at in this petition. It could be, but primarily when I think of when we say Lord willing, it's like you and I make plans and then we sort of say, well, if it's not going to work out our way, uh, Lord willing, uh, maybe we'll work it out his way. So it's, it's a bit like Lord willing in that context 
can be a passive obedience. Still obedience, but it's more passive. We'd like to act this way, but if God doesn't want it that way, we'll move that way because that's what he wants. A bit more passive obedience. I think that when I've been thinking that through, when our plan is not going to happen and God has another plan, we actually have to actively work out how to follow him. So it is active down the track, but by nature, just add Lord willing to your sentence, is more passive obedience. So that's why we want to look at how Jesus lives. You understand better what this petition means. We'll look at how it worked out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and we'll do that in a moment. You can read up on that in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. But now we need to wind the clock right back to the Garden of Eden. At the very beginning of record, Adam, confronted with temptation, could have prayed, Lord, your will be done. He could have prayed that. But you know what happened in the story? Adam didn't pray, your will be done. He actually said, not your will, but my will be done. So he disobeyed. And he did. that humanity is struck with the same problem. We are prone to want to do our will first. You know, we might say, oh, we've got some strong-willed children. Oh, you know, but I would say all of us are a bit strong-willed when it comes to that. So we've got Adam, who had the chance but failed. And so God's plan was to send a second Adam in our place. And history waited such a long, long time. In fact, it's the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, that explains that this great time between the first Adam and the second Adam, when someone stands up and says, I've come to do your will, do your will. So in Jesus, we see the first time in history that God's will is being done in a person as perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus asks us to pray this prayer, he never asks us to do something he hasn't done before. You get that? He never asks us to do something that he himself hasn't done before. So that is an amazing thing to just comprehend that in, in history, the first time that God's will is done perfectly on earth as in heaven, it's in Jesus. And I want to show you how Jesus processed this. The slide will say that God's will is the dominant force in our Lord's life. Look at what he says. This is referring to what Richard spoke about last Sunday in John 4. To the Samaritan woman... Jesus said to her, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. To the scribes and the Pharisees who opposed Jesus, he said, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. To his followers in John 6, Jesus says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then when he speaks to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, If it is yet not as I will, but as you will. And a short time later, in that Garden of Gethsemane situation, Jesus prayed, My Father, 
if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now that's an interesting survey. Samaritan woman, you get the scribes and Pharisees, and in all those areas, Jesus explained, I've come to do the Father's will. So when we look at, say, the Garden of Gethsemane, my question is, do you think Jesus is being actively seeking God's will or passively seeking God's will? When you think actively pursuing God's will or is he passively pursuing God's will? Actively. I, if you can think of the sweat coming out of his brow like blood dropping, then you can see how intense his action was. He seeks God's will, he knows God's will, and then he does God's will. He is fully human and yet fully God, and in that body, fully human, fully God, Jesus does ask, is there another way? Is there another way rather than the God-forsaken cross? And God says, no, no other way. And so Jesus chooses active obedience. He sought God stand here with you, and I want to praise God for his active obedience showed, shown in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, it's Christ's active obedience that is your salvation and that is mine. And if you are here wrestling whether you should submit to Christ and give him your heart, this is the place, this is the time, this is what he did for you. So he's asking for your heart, God's will to be done. So this third petition of our Lord's Prayer is an active choosing to do God's will, to seek it out, and then to be shaped by that obedience. And we have the Holy Spirit who will help us, energize us to live a grace-filled obedience. And that's what's actually involved in praying this prayer. So I want to stop and just have a check and say, how prepared are you to follow the path of the Savior? Not only to seek God's will, not only to know God's will, but the big step to do God's will. Are you with me in that? It goes against our human nature, though, to actually put God first, to deny ourselves first place. It's often a struggle, and I think Christians, and I speak for myself, we can agree that what God has said in his word is good. You only have to look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, what an amazing way to live if we live that way. But even after we agree that God's word is right, we have another difficulty, and that is to agree to do God's will. And I, I really think that's the challenge of this passage, to actually do God's will. So where do we get the strength to carry out this will of God we're talking about? Well, it's only as we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we receive that daily renewing power of the Holy Spirit, can we walk in the pattern of our Lord. And this is a concept that came to me this week, and I just want to share it with you. We worship a saviour who bent his will to the will of the Father for our salvation. To bend 
your will to the Father's will. What does that look like? I tried to think of an illustration. Uh, this past week, um, I was, we had our granddaughter over for a few days and we went for a bike ride into some bush tracks and um, at the end I wanted a quick way home and uh, that was requiring us to go a little bit on the road and might be a bit dangerous and my granddaughter said, Opa, I don't want to go on that road, I don't want to go on that road and I said, it's much quicker, it's got a better track at the end and she said, Opa, I don't want to do that and I said, it's better for us anyway, I thought, what am I going to do? I actually bent my will towards her will. And then when I said, okay, we won't go that way, we'll turn around and go back the way we came, she was just so happy. But that's what bending your will looks like. To bend it so that you listen to what someone is wrestling with, and in this case it's what God wants for us, and we shape it to go his way. So I hope that's a concept that's helpful to you when you're wrestling with what shall I do? We can bend our will God's way just like Jesus did. So looking to Jesus will help you long for and desire God's will to be done in your life, but it's a much bigger prayer. If we look to Jesus and desire his will to be done, we also want that for the world around us. And that is like on earth as it is in heaven. So let's briefly look at the will of God. What does Jesus mean by the will of God in this prayer? Well, God does not leave us confused as to his will, but sometimes we find it difficult to know his will. And we, we may not even have verbalized it. Now, theologians make a distinction between the secret will of God and the revealed will of God. And that's not, not just academic. It actually comes out of Scripture. I want you to look at um, a, a definition of this in Deuteronomy 29, 29, because there is this, this, this distinction. We explore that for a minute. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Now, of course, every passage has a context. Uh, the context of Deuteronomy 29 is this, that here is God, a gracious, sovereign God, spelling out the terms of his relationship with his people Israel. God is saying to them, I am going to save a people for myself. He will do it. And God knows exactly whom he's going to save. The result of this statement is that it's a requirement of God's people to trust and obey God. And that the previous chapters, 27 and 28, spell out all these blessings for obedience and punishment for disobedience. And so when you analyze this passage in its context, you might be tempted to try to find out who God is going to save and who he's going to leave in their rebellion and disobedience. Because that's the reality of the context. Not all are going to follow in God's ways. In Israel, not all followed his ways. And so that question that we might ask, 
who is God going to save actually tells us in this passage that's not your job. That's not your job. That's not for us to see. That is for God's secret will to be known to him alone. But what does God say in that context in this verse? God has clearly revealed his love. He has clearly provided for our rescue. And he wants us to live with him as he wants to live with us. That's the context. And so Deuteronomy is the, is the book that our Lord quoted most from in his life on earth. If you look at all the quotes of the Old Testament that Jesus made, most came from Deuteronomy. Interesting point. And so we see God's word says, choose life. So you might not know the secret will of God, but the revealed will of God is choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. So there are things that we're not destined to know. But what we need to know, another example of God's secret will is the date of Christ's return. Jesus says in Matthew 24, But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if it's the secret will of God, is it our job to ask God to change the date? Not at all. That date is set in the mind of God. It's set. And there's no prayer on our part that's going to change that date. It's the secret will of God. So if anybody tells you Jesus is coming back on that day, that month, that time, that place, tell them they're lying. It's only to God who knows that particular knowledge. But even if that's the secret will of God, what can we do? Well, the Bible is clear. It ends with a passage in Revelation that says, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So you can pray by all means for Jesus to come quickly, changing the date. And we're going to pray for Jesus to come quickly. It's a good thing to do because we desire it and we want to live for him. We want to see his glory displayed. So how does Jesus teach us to live in the light that he's coming back? So many of his parables go that way. Well, in four words, the way to live, waiting for Jesus to return, he tells us is watch, wait, be ready. That's, that, that's the revealed will of God. Watch, wait, and be ready until Jesus returns. So that is about the revealed will of God in the word, to know it, and then to do it. That's doing his will. So a third question comes up. Uh, how can I know God's will? A lot of people ask that question. How can I know God's will? Well, the simple answer is God has told us in his word. That's the simple answer. It's a very good answer, but we're going to unpack that a little bit more. The Bible is God's love letter to us. And he explains how the relationship of grace works. Our doing God's will, our obedience, comes out of our gratitude. There is no way 
that you doing God's will, you being obedient, earns you a place in heaven. That is not correct. Our obedience comes out of gratitude. In fact, if you looked at our obedience, looked at my obedience, if I'm going to go to heaven on my obedience, it's got to be perfect. And I'm not perfect. I cannot perfectly obey. But Jesus did when he said, I have come to do your will, and he did it. So in praying your will be done on earth as in heaven, we are committing to, to find out God's will, to know it, and to do it in active obedience. Now, if you look for God's will in the Bible, you'll find it specifically in the Ten Commandments. That is a specific code of God's will. But God's will is much bigger than that. And Psalm 119 helps us understand that. It is a meditation over hundreds of verses on the will of God, applying it to all of life, all sorts of situations. So the will of God is the Ten Commandments, but it's much wider as applied in Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. It says there, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light upon my path. It's all of life, God's law. And we read in the Bible that God's law is also called wisdom. Every part of God's law gives us a direction and protection in all things to do his will. And James, in chapter 2, even tells us that the law of God is our liberty. If you walk in the law of God, you walk in freedom, in love, and in grace. So our obedience to God is good for him. Our obedience to God gives him the glory. Our obedience to God is also good for us because it makes us happy. We are contented. We are thankful in walking in his way. So again, the battle is not knowing what we have to do for God, it's doing it. And God's will is opposed in many quarters. Our world, if you would talk to people in the street about God's law, what sort of reaction would you get? Well, most people would say, oh, come on, that is an ancient book. But anyway, far too strict. It doesn't apply to us anymore. That's what people say. But I can say that the world is wrong. If God is right, and that's what he says, the world is wrong. In fact, we are seeing it today. There are some interesting essays being written about the culture that we're in. And if you would fast forward 30 years, and this is what people are starting to say. We know that a law-abiding society is a better place to live in than a lawless society. But we are starting to become lawless the further we go away from God's law, we're becoming more lawless. And our society is, is sort of unraveling. Our legal system in Australia is based on a foundation of biblical principles of justice and freedom, valuing human life and equality. That's God-given stuff. So if there's one place on earth where doing God's will is to be showcased, where would it be? If there's one place on earth 
where God's will should be showcased, where would it be? The church, the body of Christ, the communion of saints. This is the place where if the world is looking for how it should be in God's design, that's where to look. That is a massive call for us. Welcome to the world of a glimpse of heaven on earth. And that is, that is a call on our hearts. The place where God's name is honoured, where his kingdom reign is taking shape, where lives are being transformed. That's where God's will is being done. So what is the standard of God's law? As Jesus prays it here in the prayer, it is on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where I, I had some wonderful discoveries this week, just trying to unpack this on earth as in heaven. If, if you just stop and think about the angels uh, in heaven, and then Psalm 103 is that reflection. Look, look at the angels in heaven. What are they doing? They're not just playing on harps and stuff like that. They're, they're actually doing the bidding of God. Whatever God says, they want to do. The heavenly host are described as you servants who are doing his will. So if you take a picture of heaven, what's happening there is there's this amazing readiness to obey God's will. In other words, angels are leaping into action as soon as God says the word. I've just got to take something for my throat. <clears throat> so imagine the readiness of God. Angels leaping as soon as God says the word. We see that angels leave us for dead in their enthusiasm and readiness to serve God. And yet we are the ones for whom Christ died. I just, I just thought that was amazing. All the power of God goes to rescue us, and yet glory to him happens in the heavens. Angels are described in Hebrews 1 as ministering spirits sent to help us. I don't know if you believe in angels. We don't talk much about angels, but the Jewish people had a whole doctrine of angels that I think we Westerners have basically skipped or missed. But the Bible has a lot to say about it. And, and we, in fact, are sons and daughters of God who are paid with a price. And when we are serving God and even struggling, the angels in heaven can be discharged to help us in our obedience. So can you and will you commit to enthusiastically doing God's will? Are you going to seek it out? You're going to know it and then to do it. And just as a, a bit of a check, I, I wanted to think about our prayers. You know, earlier I asked how much are our prayers changing because of what we're hearing. When I look at our own prayers, uh, personally, family and as a church, we often pray for blessings on food, on our travel, on our decisions. We ask for things to go well for us, for our families, we ask for things to go well for the church. We pray for health and healing, as we did this morning. We pray for missionaries. We pray for government. And they're all good things. But as a result of this particular message this morning, 
I'm thinking of how often do I hear myself and you people pray actively that we are doing the will of God to please him. When do we pray, Lord, help me to do your will. In this coming week, when I have to face decisions, help me to do your will. And you see that our Lord's Prayer is focused more on obedient living than happy living. It's an important distinction. We are focusing on committing ourselves to dynamic obedience, to a lifetime shaped by God's will, to a lifetime shaping our world, our environment for God. So praying your will be done is committing yourself to change for daily renewal, daily obedience, daily growth and progress in faith. Now, as I conclude, I want to um, put some application out there, put some wheels. Are you confident that God has the power to change you and to shape you through his Holy Spirit? Because if you say God's will requires change on my part, is God, has he got the power to change? The answer is, if we went from death to life in conversion, he's definitely got the power to help us in obedience while we live. So we can be confident, yes, that he's got the power. So how are we going to take on that power? Well, the clearest way to do God's will is to know his word. God's word this is the most, gives us everything we need to know and be familiar with so that we can actually serve God. So study it. Keep reading your Bible. Be familiar with it. Even memorize it. Another thing we can do is to pray to God and to listen to God. I am learning this all the time. It's one thing to pray to God when we speak. Um, can I have a, a slide up? Just one of the slides. Doesn't matter which one for the background. If you can get the title slide up. Okay. Th this is very clever. I didn't get it in the beginning. But when I asked Philippa to help with a logo for the Lord's Prayer, she gave us that one. Now, I'm old school, all right? So I looked at that and thought, hmm, okay. But you know what? Young people straight away got prayer to God and down to us. I mean, how silly, you know. But anyway, so what, what is so good is that praying to God is one thing, us speaking. But I tell you what, it's another discipline to actually listen to God and hear what he is saying. Jesus did a lot of listening to God. He would pray to him, of course. He would retreat, retreat to a quiet place. But he would listen to God. He would ask God to reveal what he needed to know. He was still fully human to go to the next level of obedience. And we can do the same. How do we get to the next level of obedience? It is to actually pray to God and wait on God. And then whenever you uh, hear things around the place, um, check everything by the word. Test everything you hear by the word. Become a Berean Christian. Match God's word. Get godly advice. Get it from your family. Get it from your friends. Get it from your leaders. Get it from your church community. 
And we're called to live in community. We're called to live with the wisdom of each other. If you have other people speaking into your life about decisions you're and hopefully make good decisions, the wisdom of each other. And once you do pray for each other, keep checking on it. Don't just sort of pray one prayer for someone and then think, oh, that's all done. What about the following week? Follow them up and say, you know that prayer that we prayed? Um, how's God working? So this is praying in community, one mentoring. So seek advice. But when you pray for each other, when we pray for each other, follow up on the people you pray for. I want to give you a couple of handles on actively doing God's will. The first one is this, and it's basically a repetition of what we've said. With God's word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we actually can know God's will for all ordinary matters. God's will is revealed in the Bible for all ordinary matters. But there are some things that are a bit more difficult. What does the Bible say about that? We can search for God's will in other things in the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. So do you see what that text is saying? When your mind is being transformed and there are things that you are not sure of, by the Holy Spirit working in you, you can test and find out God's will and approve it and do it. And then the third handle is we can learn God's will in common unity, in community with other Christians. The combination of intergenerational wisdom, the experience of other people, who have walked with Jesus is a very precious gift. So God's will was always the primary goal in Jesus' life. And so, in a sense, I can say to you in a, a couple of words summary of today, it should also be our goal, God's will. And when we do God's will on earth, you will be opposed by people. I guarantee it. If you are trying to do God's will, you will be opposed. You will get opposition but the Bible tells us we'll be served by ministering angels who are spirits sent to encourage us. Never forget that when you feel like you're all alone and now you have to make this awesome decision, then God's ministering angels are there to help us. If you think back to Jesus' ministry, at the very beginning, remember he had to go into the desert to be tested by the devil? And then he passed those big critical tests. And as soon as Jesus did that, it says in the text in Matthew chapter 4 that the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was facing this opposition. If you read further through the text, Jesus says when one of the servants, one of his disciples was going to cut off a, disciple, a servant's ear, Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Don't you know, I only have to ask the word and legions of angels can come and help me. That's, that's what Jesus did. He knew the power of God to assist us through his angels. So as we do actively search out and seek God's will and then do it, be assured that heaven is watching. 
I'd like to pray and then I'm going to ask Johan uh, to come forward and uh, I gave him a heads up a while back because I knew his journey and uh, he's got a very interesting testimony about uh, pursuing God's will, finding out and seeing how God leads. It's well worth listening to. Let's pray and then I'll call Johan up. Father in heaven, we want to thank you this morning for your instruction. Thank you that your word is very clear. And where it's not as clear as perhaps we would like, we can pray for your wisdom and your understanding to help us. We can also ask for the counsel of other friends and people. And Lord, when we actively seek your will and search it and want to do it, we know that you will empower us through your Holy Spirit. That is the promise of your word. That is what we see in the practice of Jesus, that he has divine assistance to help him when he was in his humanity going through um, the process of being our Savior, our Lord. Father, help us to not only know your will, but to do it. Lord, that is the biggest challenge for me to not just know your will, but to do it. And I pray, Lord, that the world may see a working out of this in our community and see a glimpse of heaven being displayed on earth. That would be so good for your glory and so good for the world to see. Amen. Okay, Johan. Um, thanks, Bill. Um, I shared this testimony in my life group and also with Bill and he asked the up, up here, up front. But um, praise to God and hopefully this will, this will go well with the Holy Spirit in me. Three years ago, we, we came to Australia, uh, back to Melbourne from, from Adelaide. We came for the kids um, because the kids were in trouble and, and we needed to be there for them. Um, not talking about that, and the job was not as advertised. So the manager actually sat in our house having dinner with us in Adelaide. He said that I'm a process engineer. I work with manufacturing equipment and I've done it for 30 years. It's a lot of knowledge and a lot of know-how. And I wanted to use that with this new company and he promised me that I would be able to do that. And his words to me were, and there will be some sales. It ended up being a sales job. And I hated every minute of it. Hated every minute of it. And as I was struggling with it, one day I was driving to work and I was listening to a, I was listening to a devotion from Angus Buckham. And this was all about prayer. And in this, he said, sometimes we ask for, for things in prayer but we don't get an answer. But sometimes not an answer is an answer. That God doesn't want you to do this. And he specifically said, are you looking for a new job? Did God tell you to look for a new job? And I had to say no. God didn't tell me to look for another job. He made me come from Melbourne, uh, from LA back to Melbourne to be with my kids. He gave me this job, and I should honor that. So I made a promise to God. 
I will not look for another job. If you want me to change jobs, somebody will come to me and offer me a job. That would be a sign that you want me to change. Fast forward three years later. In February, I got a call from a company called Tech Industries, and they offered me a job. Not only a job, but the perfect job. A job where I can mentor young engineers, where I can work in production, where I can build new knowledge and actually lift this company up to a new level of, of I was stumbfounded. But then I, I was concerned, is it, is it my own selfishness that, that I want this job? So I, I was thinking about, can we ask for affirmation? Can I go back to God and say, you know what? Thanks for this job, but can you please confirm that you actually want me there? <laughs> and during that time, we had some friends come from, from Adelaide, Christian friends. And they joined us, and I shared this with them. But before that, when, when Karen arrives at the house, the first thing she showed us was a photo of a quilt that she did. A quilt of a beautiful um, cross. Now she and Leone uh, used to do quilting together. And she couldn't wait to share that with her. So quilting is, is making little pieces of, of, of um, material together. And it forms a picture. And, and this thing particularly formed a beautiful cross. So she couldn't wait to show us that. But in any case, while we were talking, uh, I shared to them my struggles. And I said, can I ask God for affirmation? And um, Gideon was told to go and make war with, I think, the Philistines at the time. And he said that I will give them into your hand. But they were outnumbered 10 to 1. And he was scared. So he asked God um, with the fleece. Um, so yes, of course, you can ask God for affirmation. So I prayed to God and said, God, if this is your will, please affirm this to me. So that Sunday morning, they left back for Adelaide. And I came to church. And Kylie stood up here. Kylie, um, she testified about how wonderful God is and how much the prayers of this church helped Elijah. And she said she was struggling one day and she, as we all do sometimes, is just open the Bible and say, God, give us a message. So she opened the Bible and she opened it at, at uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. For her, it meant something different. But when I heard those voice, that voice from God, it was like it touched my shoulder. It says, I know you've been struggling. And I want to give this to you. So I was, like I'm now, emotional. And we left. And I wrote a little message to, to Karen, uh, SMS message, and I said to her, God is so wonderful. He, I think he spoke to me today. And a few minutes later, she sent the message back. You would not believe it, but the verse at the bottom of that cross, that quilt, was Jeremiah 29 verse 11. 
What's it, what, is it a coincidence? I don't think so. That's not all. Um, two weeks later, I was, I was going to Kurong. Um, I decided this year I'm going to buy my, my boys. I've got three boys. I'm going to buy each of them a Bible. And I'm going to write them a little message in the Bible. For me, um, just as encouragement. And I bought, bought my son a Bible. And I went to the, um, the place where they have these leather coverings. And it was just a mess. It was all over the place. And there was one upside down. And I lifted it up. And it was the first one. First one I touched. For the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. How clear can that be? That God works in our lives and he's pointing us in the right direction. So the lesson for me is God is good. God is great. If you dare to ask him, he will show you. He will show you what he wants for your life. Thanks. Bring people on because I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, what, that's a lovely testimony, isn't it? That God just put on uh, Johan's heart. When we heard it at our life group, we were deeply, deeply encouraged. And then I, I somehow had the seed of the Lord's Prayer uh, series. And I, I thought your will be done is coming. So I wanted this man to speak. But I have a question for you. This is off the cuff. Um, you said that in Adelaide, there was three years of waiting. I want to know what that waiting was like. It was tough. It was tough. It was very tough. But I knew that um, there was something I had to do. Um, I spoke with my wife uh, a while back, and I think I know what it was. Um, we had a young engineer there, a technician. Bad mouth, swearing like a sailor. It's his daughter. And uh, he was just about to become a dad. And I think I was there for him. Mm. Um, I spent three years with him, uh, stopped the swearing, um, and he asked a lot of questions about the Bible and, and, and mm. the, the way of, of Christ, what I'm doing every day. Mm. And I think... A bit of detail that's worth knowing. Sometimes the waiting is awful for us, stressful even, but behind the scenes, God is actually working things out like the benefit of that man for you to have to wait those three years. I, I praise God for that new insight as well. So I just want to say, when you pray for God's will to be done perfectly, sometimes it, it works that way, but in between it can be a bit messy. But God is in the mess and nothing is too difficult for God. I just want to pray for you, Johan. Father God in heaven, I thank you for this man. Thank you for his wife and his family. And thank you for what you've brought him through to this point and what you've been teaching Johan. It has made him and your wisdom and your love for him and for his family so that we can even pray bolder prayers. Lord, may this be an encouragement to us today. Your name be praised. Amen. Thank you. So I've got a little bit to finish off with. I, I thought um, if... if we had a newsletter, this would have been in the newsletter for take home, but um, Johan has you know, given us, is it this echoing? Uh, Johan has um, given us his testimony, but I would like to um, 
you know, think about some life issues that we might be wrestling with and then help you with a checklist. Uh, it's been really helpful for me, even this past weekend, to put into practice. Um, for instance, you might be saying, how, how do I know how to choose my life's partner? Or who should I actually date? Or what work career, which Johan was talking about, should I do? Or what job should I change? And I threw this one in. I know it's not relevant to you, but I'll tell you what, it has been relevant before. Is it right to buy scratchies or tats lotto? Yeah? I can tell you some stories about that. It would be too long to tell you now, but it's not right to buy scratchies or tats lotto, and God's word is pretty clear. Um, but anyway, a checklist uh, to see if our decisions are lining up with God's will. And I've got seven, seven questions that are worth asking. And what I'll do is I'll post this onto our discussion page and I'll also ask Philippa to put it in the newsletter in the future. So what does God's revealed word say? Good question. Uh, how is God answering your prayers already in mind? And what are you sensing him to say? Is your plan a reasonable thing to do with respect to your abilities and your availability? What are other fellow Christians saying or advising? And then how is God's providence, how he's dealing with you, how is God's providence lining up with your choices, your decision, and you being holy in the decision? Now, go through those seven things. It's a very, very healthy thing to do. But I've got one more thing to add. Next slide. What if you do all the above and you still have choices? Because I've been in that place, and I think you might have been there too. This is duration. Do go ahead trusting in God to lead and guide and keep being willing to be guided by God. Secondly, it's probably a matter of Christian freedom as you make God's will your objective. So live in the freedom Christ has won for us. And thirdly, even if you make mistakes... God will use them for his glory and your benefit. Trust in the Lord's leading. God is bigger than our mistakes. That is good news. And uh, we'll sing and then we'll close with a benediction. Um, just before we jump into our next song.